powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. The tank rolls on on Game Over Montreal. The Montreal Canadiens have, I believe, lost their fifth game in a row now by one goal. Two in a row now in the shootout. They've uh, lost their perfect uh, shootout record that they carried in the last couple games. But uh, hey, you know what? Putting on a show against a contender isn't a bad thing. And I know people want zero points because the tank and is very important, all that. But listen... The players that are still in the lineup, guys like Caden Gooley, Nick Suzuki, young players trying to make it like Raphael Harvey Pinar, Jesse Ulonen, or Ulanen, sorry, uh, pronunciation always gets me. This kind of experience is good for them. And it was a great game. I see uh, Gary in the chat saying it's a great game. This to me felt like a very elite preseason game. Both teams played with very little structure. There's lots of good chances. And there's lots to talk about tonight. I've got a fantastic guest with me, Shayna Goldman. The Gossip Girl herself joins us, uh, has gone from one of the best, if not the best, analysts in the sport to now one of the top insiders in the sport. So we'll get all sorts of uh, talk going on with Shayna tonight. But before we get into it, we got to tell you, you want to bet? Then get in on the action at Sports Interaction. The boys of summer are back on the diamond and March Madness is on deck. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn or in Ontario. Download the app using the QR code at the bottom of the screen right now. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. And uh, when you do bet, like they mean it, play responsibly. Bet in small amounts. You know, Adam, Jesse, and Steve talk about it all the time. Like today, I bet on the Buffalo Sabres to win. And I didn't bet a lot of money. And I'm very glad that I didn't because... Uh, I don't know the last time a team's given up 10, but let's welcome in Shayna. Shayna, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. And I'm all about the little baby bets. I, too, did bet on a Sabres comeback, and that, that's not happened. Didn't pay out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my tonight. God. 10 oh, goals. Oh, man. I, I thought that the Sabres had a good chance tonight. Dallas has been kind of not playing that well. Sabres, I think, like, that they're vaunted. Like, their offense is really good, right? And Yeah. yeah. So is Dallas's, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> just who knew to that extent my god that was that was brutal yeah it was it was a rough one but a good game between the Habs and the Rangers it seems like these teams always play each other pretty tight like going back geez like a decade now it, it seems like there's always something between these two teams whether it's anger or just a, a tight game um obviously uh the Chris Kreider situation is no longer as hot because Carey Price is no longer around, but you still got some booze though. I was I was a little surprised booze. to hear it. I mean, it's only been was it 2014, right? So it's been almost 10 years. Yeah, I'd say the rest of his career he'll still. I was get still booze in college here. when that happened. Like it's so long ago. Oh God, yeah, it's it's been a while, but uh, yeah, that those booze are never going away. That's for sure. All right. Uh, I did want to. I do want to talk about the game specifically, but I want to ask Shayna some more broad questions as well tonight because, you know, we we have amazing guests on this show, but Shayna's breadth of knowledge is so strong on the game. She's so. I know she's shaking her head, but I'm literally, sorry, guys. I'm not. I'm the worst at listening to this. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm you can hold a straight face. Just cover your face. Pretend to be embarrassed, <laughs> but like. Everyone who's ever read an, a column by Shana knows that it's the analysis is great and the communication is what's so great about it, right? You're able to package things in a way that's digestible for every fan, even fans who aren't like heavy into analytics. And that's what I think makes your writing so special. So along with the, your work on the Too Many Men podcast, which we've got to shout out as well. We had Allison on our uh, uh the panel women's, was great. Yeah, our Women's History Month panel for International Women's Day. She's always fantastic. Another one of the best analysts this game has ever seen. And yeah, you put you two together with Sarah and it's just dynamic. So everyone should subscribe to that as well. But I wanted to ask you something. It does pertain to the Rangers and maybe the Canadians rebuild as well. Uh, looking at the way the league is trending right now, and this is kind of talking about the Rangers last year as well, who they were a good team, but terrible at even strength again this year, really good team, but kind of mediocre at even strength. Do you think our even strength predictive tools, like focusing on five on five hockey are less valuable 
today than they were a few years ago. Now that there's like, it seems like shooting talent is just so much more effective now, or like there's more of it, more focus on getting high danger chances kind of thing. And then power play chances are up. I think it's the most since 15, 16, but power play efficiency is the highest it's been since 1985. Is even strength being like the be all end all of team analysis kind of going away for a bit? I don't know if it's going away because I still think when you look at the best teams in the league and you look at the Colorado Avalanche last year, right? Or the Boston Bruins this year, like they're elite at five on five. It's just that you need more than that. And you kind of always did. You look back to, you know, the year the Bruins won in 2011, like they had everything but an elite power play. Um, But the penalty kill was perfect. The goaltending was perfect. The shooting at even strength was perfect. The dominance at, you know, both ends of the ice at even strength was perfect. I think you just need to have more weapons and you, you know, you mentioned power play efficiency up and it's, it's knowing different ways to be effective. We know that teams leaning on their first power play unit tends to be more effective. We know that running five, uh, four, four, sorry, I wish five forwards four forwards and one defenseman is the most effective way of doing it. Although, I mean, we don't see enough of the five forwards to really prove that, but it's better than the three forward two D it, it creates more offense. And while everyone might say, but you're going to allow more back, but you're not because you're going to be possessing the puck way more because you have more forwards on the ice to do it. Like, there's ways to be very good in this league. There's different ways to do it. There is no equal path. Even if we use the contender checklist every day of the week, everybody has their own individual makeup for it. Like not everybody's a Colorado avalanche who's completely and totally elite, but like they were last year at Tampa Bay when they won, but there, there's different ways of getting there. You can have a ton of star power. You can have excellent secondary scoring to support your top players. And maybe your top players aren't as fantastic. You look at the blues when they won, they didn't have the most spectacular group of all-stars, but they had all-stars plus so much strength below them that it really rounded out the roster. And of course you can have really good goaltending. You can get away with when you're in the playoffs with average goaltending, you look at Darcy Kemper after the injury last year, that was average goaltending and below average, but if the team's so loaded, so you, you just need to be versatile. I think is the biggest thing in today's game. Like if you're going to be a contender and you're going to win, you can't have it that you only have one thing that works for you. The Rangers last year, subpar five on five team, right? All year. First round of the playoffs, Terrible at five on five. The goaltending got hot when they needed to. You get to round two, five on five play picked up. You get around three, five on five play dried up. And then that power play dried up that helped elevate the game all along. They suddenly didn't have it anymore. Goaltending alone wasn't enough. So if you have the versatility, I think, to have different strengths, you're going to be a very good team. I, I still think five on five play is super important. But I think that you can steal a series without it. You can steal a playoff, you know, a playoff run without it if you have the other pieces. Yeah, and I think, like, these two fan bases, uh, they know all about stealing a series with goaltending, right, between Chesterkin or Lundqvist or Price or Halak way back in 2010, which to me still seems like yesterday, but apparently is 23 years ago, or sorry, 13 years ago, 23 years ago, that's going a little bit too far. But, uh, yeah, that kind of thing, it can, I feel like the whole, you can get past a, a certain point not being that full-on competitor team, but you're seeing fewer and fewer full-on Cinderella teams make the Stanley Cup final. And it seems like even when there are Cinderella teams that make it that far, it's always the better team that ends up winning in that Stanley Cup final. Unless it's like really close situations, then you're like, well, you know, anything could happen. But the Cinderella teams, they just don't win in the NHL. And they haven't really for... The Kings, maybe the last one? Even the Kings, they were pretty... Like they, they were, were the eight eight seed, seed, but, but they, they were, were like so the best good. Corsi yeah. team in the league, right? Yeah, even and, the and Blues the year sub- they won. Yeah, they, it would. The, you look at half the season, you're like, they were incredible half the season. Yeah, so like the standings don't really, they aren't really representative, right? Right, right. Like I know um, a lot of people look at like last twenty five games of the season as like a marker of like who's actually playing well heading into the playoffs, and then you got like the Lightning who are like, well, we can just coast. Yeah, right. They had two bad, the bad starts of the season two years straight, and it was totally fine for them where they have injuries lingering from their long runs. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. We'll be fine. We'll bounce back when we need to. And like, it's going to be interesting to see what they do now. But, you know, it's tough. Like you look at last year and it was like, who was the Cinderella team? The only team that wasn't a true contender when the playoffs started to make it to the final four, you could argue Edmonton in ways, but you could say, you know, they got better as the year went on. They changed their playing all three zones. 
come the coaching change. You could look at the Rangers and say they didn't belong there. They were there earlier than everyone expected. But like when push came to shove in the conference final, you saw those weaknesses shine through. So it is tough because some of the best teams in the league have been legitimately the best teams in the league. Like they're there for a reason. The Tampa Bay Lightning are a powerhouse. They, you know, they are arguably a dynasty. That's three straight, you know, trips to the Stanley Cup final with that core. That's not nothing in two championships, you know, to show for it. So it's tough, I think, to be the underdog in today's game. But like if the playoffs um, start, you know, today, right. And the Seattle Kraken make it, I think everyone's going to look at them as the Cinderella story. And it's like, should they be, they were good all year, but if they suddenly make it to the final, will they be like that? That would be a good question, you know, to ask then. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It, it's, it's such a weird situation to, to watch like all this unfold, but it's, I feel like the game is better in the playoffs if you can have the possibility of a Cinderella team, but also I feel like it's also better if they don't win. <laughs> you know it's, I mean? like, it depends. It's so depends. Is the Cinderella team scrappy and exciting and have good storylines and actually yeah. interesting to watch? Like they have to be that. Otherwise, like, look, we got a series of McKinnon versus McDavid last year and McCarr versus McDavid. It was what we were all dreaming of. We got that. We got the powerhouse lightning against the powerhouse avalanche in the Stanley Cup final. That is skill versus skill. Like you can talk about the Blake Coleman's and Barkley Jadros of the world and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But like with Tampa Bay, but like it's the Steven Stamkos, it's the Victor Hedman's, it's the Nikita Kucherov's. Like that is what we want. To have matchups on the East, you went Hedman versus Fox, and then you got Hedman versus Makar. You got Superstar versus Superstar, the two of the best defensemen in the world, consecutive series. Like, that's, that is the content I think we all want. No one's going to be upset about that. We got Battle of Alberta, a stacked Flames team against a stacked Oilers team. And could the series have gone differently? Absolutely. And been a little more exciting and longer? Sure. But, like, that's what we all wanted to see. Did any, everyone, would, I think, would have been disappointed if it's like, well, now you get Oilers stars. Stars would have been the underdog last year because they have one good line. And Jake Ottinger being incredible in the playoffs, they would have been that underdog team. They didn't make it past game seven, but they almost did. I mean, it went to overtime. So it's like, it's so close. And if it's a good enough, that's you have to be a good underdog. Imagine yeah. that's what we're saying. You have to be a good, you have to be an exciting underdog. You have to be one with enough storylines, with enough likable players, with enough things that we're going to look at you and go, you're not boring. Oh, this oh, great. This teammate there, they're going to get their asses kicked in five seconds. Like you have to be enough to entertain us for us to care. Yeah. And like, I mean, I'm sure that somebody's going to get mad at me for saying this, but as much as I enjoyed watching the Canadians on their like unpredictable run to the Seneca final against the lightning in 2021, the 2022 playoffs were probably the best playoffs overall that I've ever seen. They were yeah. just bangers. Almost every series was a banger. Uh, I mean, outside of Jake Ottinger, maybe stopping too many shots and Jacob Markstrom doing the same in that first round. I feel like that series could have been a little bit higher scoring, but still it was a highly competitive series. I like a goalie duel though. I, that, I that for me, I loved the Ottinger versus Markstrom series. I loved it being like the Ottinger show. It was, I feel like if the flames would have lost, it would have been less entertaining because the whole time, like we had game over Calgary going. So I, the whole time I'm like, how can they beat this guy? <laughs> like, you're just losing your mind. Like I want my, my, my guys to, to have something to talk about in the next round. Of course that didn't work out so well against Edmonton, but uh, the series still we fun. all wanted to go longer, but no, like a, a goalie duel can be fun. Like Shesterkin versus Vasilevsky was, a matchup of, you know, the titans of goaltending, the best goalie in the world versus the best goalie of the last five years. Like, it it just has to, it has to be right. It, like, I can't, it has to be right for it all to work and be entertaining. Because that's all we want, right? We want, why did we want the Flames Oilers series to go on? It wasn't the best series. It wasn't the highest caliber of play, especially not when you fast forward a round or two and see what we got to see afterwards. Even like Kings Oilers, like it was completely different. But Flames Oilers, we just wanted for the chaos. I wanted yes. to see Jacob Markstrom turn into Mike Smith because who would have anticipated that to happen? Like, I want to see Brady Kachuk walking around with beers falling out of his pants pockets. Like, that's <laughs> that's what we were looking for, right? Like, it's just we want we we want the entertainment. The entertainment tends to come with, with star power, but at the end of the day, we just want entertainment. Yeah, and I, I swear, we'll talk about the game next here, but can you tell we're a little bit excited about the playoffs around the corner? Like it's yeah. it's getting to that point in the season. As soon as the trade deadline passes, I feel like I'm just way more excited about every game. 
is just it's so much more fun. You can see like the playoff implications and you watch the playoff races. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, no, let's talk about the Rangers quickly. Okay. Because uh, I got so, a few Rangers fans a little bit annoyed at me tonight because I tweeted that I think Patrick Kane is just washed. But I look at the Rangers and it's not like they paid crazy high prices. But do you think they bought the right way this year heading into the playoffs? Or did they buy like name brand instead of value? So last year they went the opposite approach, right? Tyler Mott, Andrew Cobb. Frank Petrano, nothing flashy about it. And it was the right moves at the time. I think this year, I do think that it's the Rangers. They go for these marquee players past their prime stars for the name brand value. That's, that is their calling card. The difference this year versus years past is they brought in these players to be the secondary stars. Mika Zibanejad's your star. Chris Kreider's your star. Adam Fox, Artemi Panarin, Igor Shostarkin. Period. The end. Those are your stars. Patrick Kane, no matter what, is secondary to that. Vladimir Tarasenko is secondary to that. So, I do really like the Vladimir Tarasenko acquisition. I think that people are impatient. He had an okay start, and then they started shuffling him around a bit. And also, like, the lineup's been chaos because they couldn't dress a full lineup and five defensemen and 11 forwards and everything's bad. And it's not like they have the most adaptable coaching staff. So I think it was tough to kind of, like, get a full vibe check on, like, how he was performing. But I think he was a smart addition for them, especially when you consider price. The Patrick Kane one's a little bit more interesting because it's, like, they didn't, I think that they needed to do something. I don't think that their right winger depth was strong enough, if not, because obviously they weren't willing to play play crafts off for some time and then they traded him. And it would lead to fourth liners essentially on a deep team, on a playoff team, on a contender, fourth line caliber players playing top six minutes, which they don't need. They need a little more, even if not star power, they need secondary scorers, they need supporting cast. I think they could have looked elsewhere. They could have gone for like a Taylor Radish, and I think it would have been good. They could have gone for all different types of players without it being the name brand of Patrick Kane, but they went for Patrick Kane. I think he's going to be fine. Honestly, like I think the hip is probably a bigger problem than, you know, he wants it to be known, but I'm sure it's there. It exists. Um, if they benched him back to back games and things like that down the stretch, I think like it would be indicative of that, but I, I don't know if we'll ever see that happen. But like, I think the biggest problem with it is like, I think when he's going to be with elite talent, it's going to elevate his game he can be a dual threat, but I just feel like they're kind of forcing connections to happen. Like we know Panarin and Kane can be incredible together. And you look at the time in Chicago and it's like, they're they're trying to make fetch happen when it just <laughs> isn't meant to happen. Like, I think you could see it on the power play tonight. Like that top, uh, I don't even know what to call it. They broke up the power play units in it's like, they're totally galaxy burning it, but you could see Panarin and Kane on the power play together. And it's very clear. Kane feed Panarin Panarin's back in the left circle. That's the plan. That's what they're going to do. And then it was once they flipped them that you see, like it's a better position for both of them to be in. Like, it just feels like they're kind of forcing things. And I think when they let that go and just let things kind of develop the way it'll be, it'll be fine. I think it's okay that they spent this year, but did it have to be Kane? No. I think Tarasenko was the right fit. Kane was secondary. They could have gone for anyone else in this spot. Yeah, I, I I get that. And, you know, like if Kane can bring it up a level in the playoffs and, you know, do that. I bet he can. I, thing I really and... do think he can once they have a functioning lineup. Yeah, I, I think what we looking back at, like, the 2021 playoffs, I'll bring it back to the Habs. You look at what like Weber and Price were able to do in that playoff run, and to a lesser extent, you know Eric Stahl and Corey Perry. I mean, Perry has continued to be effective in the years since, but Eric Stahl took basically totally cursed. I know he is that. She's three in a row, was it? Yeah, that's rough. Dallas, that's worse than Marion. Montreal, Dallas, and uh, Tampa. Love it. Couldn't happen to a more deserving guy. (laughs) Although I, I actually having watched him like every day for a full season grudgingly respect Corey Perry and kind of like him now, but at the same time, couldn't happen to a more deserving person, but uh, the, the veterans who were at what they might see as the end of the rope seem to in the playoffs, find that extra gear to push themselves in a way that like might harm their careers in. Yeah. Yeah. Like looking yeah. at Carey price, looking at Shea Weber, basically never played again, either of them. Uh, Paul Byron basically never played again. Brennan Gallagher has been a shade of himself since then. Sometimes you find those veterans that are at the end and they give absolutely everything they possibly can in a playoff run, and that's what ends up pushing you over the edge. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen here. I, I have a really hard time judging what we've seen so far because, like, 
They've had five defensemen most nights, and Ryan Lindgren's not among them. Ke'Andre Miller's not ab- among them. And when you look at like the options they have, it's Ben Harper playing all these minutes. Like it's not a good thing. So I I think it's tough. They haven't had a consistent rotation of forwards, and then you're trying to acclimate players to a new lineup, and you're throwing them around constantly. And it's like here, play with him quickly. Like it's just it's just messy. And again, I don't think the Rangers coaching staff is the perfect staff to handle this. I think someone like Jared Bednar would do a great job at managing the lineup and managing the chaos. Like, it's just not the case here. Um, So I want to see what happens when we see them actually roll 12 forwards, six defensemen in the lineup that you're supposed to, and see how it goes if they can, like, find something that clicks. And I want to see how Kane looks then. Does he look injured? Does he look slow? Does he look like he's, you know, catching up to speed? Because it's so tough, like... You look at teams that, like, okay, you look at Ryan O'Reilly when he went to the Maple Leafs, and he immediately was put in a position to play with Marner and Tavares, two of the best players on the team. You don't need to know the systems to keep up with them. You don't yeah. have to, do, you you are the passenger on that line. You are the third player on that line. You can just learn on the fly. You look at Buffalo tonight, Greenway playing with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner. It's a totally different position than saying, start on the third line and work your way up, because we're saying, we're going to give you players that are going to help you play, and you'll learn on the fly. You can't do that if you're playing 11 forward. So it's like, it's so difficult right now. And yes, he's, you know, a pro and he's been around for a while and he's a veteran and all that kind of stuff. And in his heyday, he's an elite player, but I don't think it matters if you're going to a new team and you're going to a total mess that, I mean, one might say it might be a mess because it's a bad omen, you know, making the acquisition. It feels like everything went wrong when they had to do all these convoluted things to make the trade happen. It's just so tough to judge, but like, it'll, it's going to be a really good question to see like, how does his game hold up now he's that he's in a new environment you know no it's not a perfect five on five team but it's not chicago if that's not enough to elevate his game you know that there's a problem yeah and like games that matter right yeah i feel like for a guy like kane who the first 80 percent of his career basically was like everything is every year you're going into it thinking you can win a stanley cup and then the last couple of years where chicago finally realized what was going on and they had to pull it apart. Like, I don't know. I just, as a player, I don't know how you process that. Staying in that situation and realizing, like, from day one, you're not really playing for anything. And I think that's one of the things that St. Louis has managed so well in Montreal is, like, they know that they're, like, deep down, they know. Even though several players at the beginning of the season were like, yeah, the goal is to make the playoffs. Deep down, they all know it's not going to happen right now. It's, like if they were to get close, they would find a way to pull it apart more (laughs) to get further down the standings. Right. So I I don't know how athletes approach that, but you know, former New York Ranger, Marty St. Louis, who brings the good vibes. I've not good things to say about him. It's actually unreal how happy this team is for a team that loses as often as they do. And that like never say die attitude. We're now 65 games into this season that they continue to have that against teams that are just way more talented top to bottom. Like going up against the Carolina Hurricanes the other night, they had no business playing well in that game and somehow they were able to. What do you think, like aside from being the ultimate, uh, like having the ultimate amount of swagger in terms of like, you can't go into a room with Marty St. Louis and not work hard, right? right? But other than that, like what do you think he brings like mentally that he's able to create a situation where young players and old players seem to continually buy in knowing there's nothing to play for. Well, first of all, you have to fear the thighs. I mean, look at those legs are tree <laughs> trunks. And every player has to look at them and just be like, how do we get, that? it's like with Rod Brindamore more behind the bench. Like you're like, how do we do anything bad with him right there? Yeah. Right. But no, like, I think the thing is, too, like a lot of times we see people go into coaching who don't have the most successful NHL careers, you know, and it's different. Sometimes we see it where it's like an elite player becomes an assistant coach and specialist. Marty St. Louis was an elite player throughout his career, but he approached it differently. He wasn't like handed everything on a silver platter. This was something that had to work so hard at every level to round out his game, to get past the his height, which wasn't, you know, not everyone wanted short players then, you know, it, it's. He's so refreshing in the things he says and the way he goes about things. And I think the fact that you see him on the, he's not that far removed from his playing career. It really doesn't feel like compared to some coaches. Um, 
he's on the ice. Like you, you saw him with Cole Caulfield, like short King meet short King. Let's work on the ice on this certain shot. Like he's someone that legitimately can get his hands dirty and can work on those things. He's someone who has had to take shifts at center and understands the challenges of that. He's someone who understands how to be an elite winger. He knows how to play back in his own zone. I think he knows the tricks of the trade, but he knows the tricks of the trade from so many different aspects of it, which I think helps him. He has the versatility. He has the work ethic and he has all of that from his playing days. I think the other part is too, like, you know, he, he brings in different ideas. He hasn't been around the NHL forever. You know, he's been with his playing days and then he was kind of disconnected from it. So you can look at the game differently, I think, because you get some perspective instead of, you know, retiring and jumping right back in or being so far removed of it that your, you know, your ideas are, are so out of date. He didn't have this coaching background. He came in with his own innovative approach. And I just think it's really refreshing because we hear him say things like, you know, let skilled players play to their strengths. This wasn't someone who was a grinder. This wasn't someone, you know, this was someone who was a legitimately skilled player that you can say the systems aren't the end all be all. We just need to think about how someone plays their game. And you can look at, you know, habits within games too. He could work with someone. I think it was Josh Anderson last year. And he was trying to like break habits in this game that Josh Anderson had throughout his entire career. And he was going, this is how you're going to take it differently. This is how you're going to approach your game differently. And it's someone who just comes in with completely different ideas, right? It's not someone who's like, well, I coached against him a hundred times and I saw him play. And I know he does like it, it. I just think it's so different when you don't have that same experience. I don't know. Um, but it, it, it's like a mix of the right vibes and the right willingness and daringness to go for something a little bit different that I think makes him such a special coach. Um, he's probably the most fascinating NHL head coach to me in, in the entire league. And I really want to see what he can do with a good team because right now, like there aren't many expectations for the team. And I think that gives buys him a little bit of freedom, but you know, these are fundamental years for any team. And it's not like the Canadians are here with a bunch of players that they plan to ship out. These are a lot of like the building blocks that they want to have moving forward that they're trusting him with. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's important to him. And I, I just think it's like the perfect situation for him to start coaching. If it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, there's like less pressure, right? He doesn't have to come in and take over a team that is trying to win the Stanley Cup and try to get cantankerous veterans on board and put out fires between teammates, stuff like that. It's really taking things from like the lowest possible low and bringing things up. I mean, it's it's, it's still crazy to think that Cole Caulfield had one goal in 30 games last year. That And, and, and it's crazy that his shot volume didn't change. Between yeah. the coaching, it, that there was no difference in the shot ball. It was it was so menial. It was all about where you're shooting from, and it just seems like the confidence to go for the shot. Yep, a coach that and just make, says, make the better play, right? That yeah, that's been like the consistent thing that St. Louis has been always hammering home is that he wants he doesn't want uh, players to make like a good play. He wants them to make the best play, and if they make a mistake making the best play, he's fine with that. But if they what make a good play and don't make a mistake, oftentimes he's like, but there was a better play. Yeah. No other coaches like that. Maybe I could see guys like Bednar being like that. And I think that he's very good at knowing load your team up with skill and get them to play their strengths and understand the versatility of it. And let's try this and let's test that out. I don't think any other coach has that same mentality of make the right play. Forget about the system. There's a play. Go for it. Use your instincts. Use what you know about hockey. I like it. I think there's something to it of a coach going, I know you know how to play this game. I know who you know how to play at this position. And I respect that enough for you to play to your strengths. If you're going to Cole Caulfield, I know you know how to get to the scoring areas. Get there. Go there. Take the shot. I won't bench you if you fuck up. I'm sorry. I can curse, right? Yeah, you can curse. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, no, okay, no big deal. We're we're marked as explicit. It's all okay, right. Good. It's <laughs> it's funny that like I know we there was an article written, uh I, I think it was in the athletic when the house faced the flyers a couple weeks ago and it was like uh, john tortorella singing st louis praises about you know coaching him as a player and how he's a great coach but ironically i feel like they couldn't be more opposite like we're talking about st louis being like i believe in you as a hockey player and like you make the right play and then all i can think of in the back of my head is john tortorella a couple years ago talking about anthony duclair and saying like he flat out said this guy doesn't know how to play hockey so Uh, i think though Okay, I like Tortorella. I'm biased. I I, do- I like some things, but I think he's yeah. like I think the worst the quote. Du- yeah, the Duclair thing I think got a little bit blown out of proportion because if I remember it right, because I bothered Alice and Blue Can not stop about it because that's what I do. I think it was like he tried every which way to get to him, to to try to motivate him to work with him one on one, 
to try to light the fire under him that it's like, if that's what he's doing, because this is a coach that nine times out of 10 goes into that press conference and just protects his players and takes right. the heat so they don't get. So I still have to wonder if there was something more there because it feels like there's the, the it seems like there's still like a good relationship, but like someone like Tortorella saying, I, I, I'm, I love what Marty St. Louis does. He's the perfect Tortorella player in every which way of like the hard worker in every way. Like, it makes sense he'd like it, but I do give Tortorella credit in the break he took between Vancouver and Columbus. I want to see more coaches do this. I want to see, like, I'm almost disappointed we're not going to see Barry Trotz come back after a year off because I wanted to see what he did differently. I want to see what Bruce Boudreaux does, you know, a time off. I want to see what every coach comes back in because Tortorella, and there's a really good story. It was in The Athletic by, of course, Allison Lucan um, <laughs> about the Blue Jackets, and it was what Tortorella and Mike Sullivan both were doing the year that they were off um, in between Vancouver and Sullivan going to Pittsburgh and Tortorella to Columbus, how they looked at every goal. And when they went, we can't study goals anymore. We have to look at scoring chances and we have to change how we look at the game. It's something so progressive. You wouldn't expect from a coach like Tortorella that I really like. And I want to see what more coaches bring if they get that time off, because so often they don't have a gap between jobs and they don't, why would they change anything? They don't have time to learn. They don't have time to reflect on anything. They're just going to, they must think that they're doing something right if they immediately got rehired. So for like St. Louis, I I wonder if that gap between the playing and returning or even not for nothing, coaching at the youth levels, like how many things in, in, in youth hockey do we not see in NHL hockey where there's willing there's a willingness to rotate goalies multiple times a game? If you see goalies having a bad game, pulling them for a period and then putting them back on the third or something like that, like there's things I think that we can learn from lower levels of hockey that if we, I mean, some people in hockey would turn their nose at that. Obviously, they just have to not to be a little bit more open to those ideas, right? Yeah, that's actually when we were doing the uh, when we were recording the show for International Women's Day. That's something that Allison, I think, brought up. It was either Allison or Rachel in in the first segment about how like men's hockey could actually learn from women's hockey and a lot of the concepts that have been adopted there because there's no like two hundred hockey men hovering over women's hockey. Yep. There's different priorities placed on strategies and you know because there's no like quote-unquote body checking the way you defend is different and so some of those things if the coach who has a year off or something decides to take in a bunch of women's hockey could say like hey you know what this could be applied Mm -hmm. in the nhl and it could change things the way that they approach gap control the way they place their sticks to close off lanes as opposed to trying to be like aggressive and use the body that could be something as well, like an avenue for NHL coaches to advance. I I, th- I feel like the NHL, from a coaching perspective, is actually going in the right direction, just Slowly. based on the scoring going the right way. After years and years of it, just it seems like coaches just flipped a switch and realized that they could coach offense instead of defense and, and, and win some and games that can, way, and that they can you can teach defensive structure, you can teach defensive systems. You can't teach innate offensive skill. You can refine it. You can work on it. You can improve it. You can maximize it. Sure. But you got to let players play to their offensive strengths, especially in today's game. Then you work on the defense. Yeah. It's a great idea. There are some coaches who are still getting jobs who don't see it that way. I mean, Paul Maurice is getting jobs. (laughs) Yep. Doing a great job. Yep. Doing a great job. But you know what? Canadians fans are very happy about that. That hiring is like the Canadians fans favorite thing this season. Is it really? I mean, they have the Florida Panthers first round pick. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, because of that, they had no assets to move this year. And here they are sitting on their hands at the deadline thinking Anthony declares their own rental. It's a tough situation. Unfortunate. It is. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the game while I still have you here because, uh, Obviously, we can't go too too long. You've got uh, dogs to to walk and all that <laughs> stuff, and everyone has to go to sleep, of course. But uh, are you familiar with Alex Belzile at all? I know you cover a lot of the league and the the Devils and the Rangers in particular. But did you know who he was before heading into this game? Knew who he was. Um, yeah, have seen like bits and pieces, heard, read things like that. Try to keep a good grasp on things but could i sit there and go oh yeah pick him out of a crowd absolutely not um definitely impressed me tonight that entire line was really impressive the way that they possessed the puck and just 
manage their minutes. I don't know. There's something impressive to me. Like when young players are out there outworking, out possessing, and it just, I don't know. There was a freedom to their game that I don't think you see in a lot of rebuilding teams too, like that they get to play their way. Right. Yeah. And the crazy thing is Alex Belzillo is not young. Uh, he's actually like a veteran AHL guy. He's 31 Wait, years really? old. Yeah, he's 31 I years old. I did not know that at all. He he actually got called up during the bubble playoffs uh, for, for the Canadians and played really well there. And he got a chance, I think, for a short bit last year, and he didn't really stick. Like, he didn't have the, the confidence. But this year, uh, it's been, like, night and day. Like, in the bubble playoffs, I think he played very well, but didn't really get factor on the score sheet. It was just, like, he played a very clinical, safe game, and... Now all of a sudden he has the confidence to shoot and drive the net. And I thought he was twenty four or something. Like I no, <laughs> like he's he's just a guy who refused to give up on his dreams and is now pushing for an NHL job next year at a time when like he probably never fully believed that he would get this chance. But with the way he's playing, going into next year's training camp, if the Canadians uh, bring him back on like a, another two way deal or something. Or if he even gets a two-way deal, maybe he'll get a one-way in terms of pay. Uh, somebody's going to have to force him out of the lineup because that guy, he scored in three straight games now, but it's not just that. His like points per 60 are crazy. And that line, they're the fourth line in terms of ice time and name. But in terms of effectiveness, they've been the Canadians' best line for weeks. Yeah. It's crazy. They, they went up against the Rangers' fourth line primarily, which is like, you know, obviously it is a slightly different look with Johnny Brzezinski on it, but I, I don't know. I think Brzezinski's fine. I wouldn't blame him. You know, Barkley Goudreau, there you go. A very highly rated, too many people, hard working two way forward that, you know, teams wanted their own version of and would overpay for the actual version. They, what was it? Shot of him for like six, nothing, you know, in their head to head minutes tonight. Like it, it was, it was impressive because that's like you said, fourth line versus fourth line right there. Like that's, you have the veteran fourth line that's seen it, done it, whatever, versus like this new look fourth line. Like they were definitely impressive for me. Yeah. And like, I know single game XG is always a little bit iffy, but for per natural stat trick, 94.6% while Bill Zill was on the ice. That's Pretty. something to hang your hat on. as like yeah. a 31 year old AHL veteran. And I believe over like, since he's been called up, essentially he actually leads the Canadians in uh, ex- expected goal share, which is, it's crazy. I know he's not playing first line minutes, but he just continues to impress the heck out of me. And it's one of those stories where even if the Canadians aren't the team that he ends up with next year, say that he goes somewhere else, there's a better offer wherever, I would like to see him stick in the NHL because how often do we see a 31-year-old break into the NHL and actually have like yeah. a bit of a career? Yeah, really. Like, like I said, I thought he was way younger than that. Cause it's like, you've seen him around, you see him playing well. And it's like, okay, like, cool. Someone like called up and even like 24, 25, we're going to call it late bloomer. How many times Devin Taves, Devon Taves was 25, 26 when he got called up by the Islanders finally. And he was a late bloomer. Like I thought he was, there was no shot. My friends are Islander fans. And I was like, yeah, it didn't happen for him before. It's not happening now. There's no way. Like I was so harsh about it. I'm like, I think he's overrated at this point. I couldn't have been more wrong. He came to the NHL level and I'm like, I take it all back. Like I, I completely was wrong about him to be 31 and do that. I mean, that's, that's really impressive. Like, and it's tough too, to say like, I I wonder what other, when we look at most teams and we go like, okay, well someone on the second line of the Canadians could be on the third or fourth line of Colorado. Right. Like that's how it goes. But if he's that useful as a fourth liner and anyone looks below the surface, and this is going to be one of those like teams that are really smart with smart people working for them that are like, we don't want to overpay for depth and we want to look below the surface for those inefficiencies so you can get those minimum contract fourth mm-hmm. line players who are going to work their asses off. Like that right there is a prime example of that. So if he keeps up below the surface on a bad team, on a fourth line, all those kinds of things, it it kind of like makes perfectly for that situation. And if anyone would be surprised if a team like, I, I mean, I guess you could say Tampa too. They have, you know, they're not bad, but Buffalo or Toronto yeah. or a team like that was like, that's going to be our, or Colorado, that would be our fourth line guy. We're going to sign him, swoop in for nothing instead of overpaying our own fourth line guys when they need it. Like that, that could be super interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, Colorado loves the Canadians players. So 
wouldn't be surprising. I know uh, Arik Parnas, who works for them, is a or used to be a huge Canadians fan. So I know he's got he a got word the in there. Of them all, you know, he got Lekin in. Exactly, exactly. And now they got Lars Eller. I know he came from the Capitals, but obviously yeah. a longtime Canadians player as well. Two Stanley Cup goal scoring players. Uh, Josh Anderson is such a divisive player between the average fan and the analytics person. Now, I think over the last several weeks, uh, Anderson has actually been playing maybe the best hockey since his like 27 goal campaign with Columbus. And I do think this year he has added more to his game under St. Louis where there's like, he's more versatile in terms of what he tries to do with the puck. He's not just like putting his head down and charging at the net, running out of space and missing wide and causing the puck to go the other way around in the corner. Uh, but still not a great defensive player, although actually pretty excellent on the pe- penalty kill because I don't know what you, Shana, but I find being a defensive, especially forward on the penalty kill is so much different than playing defense at even strength. It's like if you're quick, you can kind of, you can do that, right? Quick, good stick, yeah. you can do that on the PK. It's not but if you can seek those the pressure points and don't forget where he came from. He came from Columbus and they this had a power true. kill. That was a Bradshaw run power kill that he learned on. Did he play PK in Columbus? I actually I'm, haven't looked. I am like 80% sure he did. I'm going to say it's with weird. 80% confidence, I think he... I'm going to look this up because I'm curious. Okay, because he hasn't played at least significant PK minutes in Montreal until this season. Ducharme never really trusted him for it. Uh, Julian never trusted him for it. So... St. Louis is the guy who, uh, I mean, part of it was running out of options. Everybody okay, he got did. injured. He did, he did he play not, PK? Yeah, he was not, like, first guy over the boards. You can see, like, the minutes with and without, like, but, he yeah, he, he actually did play PK, which is good. It's shocking. I, I was so, I, was, I read so, I'm just pumping her tires tonight. I read so <laughs> many penalty kill stories and power kill stories from Allison because they were the best, the gold standard. Like, you want to get good at analysis you read things like that and go cool i'm going to try to replicate that and make it my own with another team type thing like brilliant work but um yeah he okay i i feel good that i did not screw that one up yeah he uh you learn you learn that, that i feel like they were like the prime example like you didn't have to have like all-star players like on their pk you just had to be smart and you had to read plays well and you look at like last year i think it was when i was working on the selkie no Penalty killing forward story. Rod Brindamore had like a great quote that was in there. And it was like, um, he likes to have guys who play power play minutes play on the penalty kill because they're the ones that know their plays. There's only so many power play plays out right. there. They're the ones that know how to read it better than anyone and anticipate it, that they can disrupt it. And those are generally speaking, the penalty killers that go over the board second. They're not on for the initial faceoff. Like Mitch Marner's like the rare version of it. That's so good on both ends of the ice. But generally speaking, your more offensive players get to go on the fly against tired penalty uh, power players and try to disrupt them and read the plays and push it the opposite way. And like Anderson can be very good at that. Yeah, and he, and he has been. But he is still a guy who seems to have way more value among like GM circles than what I would say would be like actual on ice value. Where, where do you see him right now? Because I feel like the last couple of years, he's been pretty bad overall. And this year I think he's taken a step, but I know like the, the analytics are not kind to Josh Anderson still. I think this year he's like offensive impact is like stronger than it's been in gears. So if you look on like it has, yeah. on hockey, that's like a five on five, like the defense isn't great. It never has been. Do I think he's worth this contract? I didn't think it when he signed it. Um, I do think that we have to be so careful though. Like you blame the general manager, not the player for taking the money. You can't blame the player for taking the money, Um, but the term and the money, like it's, it's, it's a lot. Uh, But I I do think he's been better this year because, you know, in an environment like this, you can kind of sink or swim. If you're on a rebuilding team and it does feel like he's legitimately working on his game. And like you said, it's different from putting your head down and just rushing to the net and hoping something clicks. Like general managers love players that have the speed, the strength, the size, and then the skill on top of it. And he just needs it that, it you know, it gets maximized. Yeah. I know there's a lot of fans who don't want him traded because they see like a second coming of John LeClaire. I don't, I don't think we're going to get there. I think what people don't remember what John LeClaire is, he was like a selkie quality defensive player at his height as well uh, as 
a 50 goal scorer on Eric Lindros's wing. So I don't think we're going to see that with Josh Anderson, but just looking quickly at evolving hockey's like their, their team uh, goals above uh, expected. No goals above. What, what is the R in replacement? Replacement. That's what it is. I was like, what am I losing here in my brain? <laughs> There's too uh, he, many numbers. They're all similar with them. I know. There's so many. But uh, he's that rare player who has a lot stacked on both sides of the line. <laughs> he's got he's 7.4 goals above replacement in offense, minus 6.6 on defense, plus two shorthanded, and 0.2 in drawing penalties. Minus 0.4 on power play offense and minus 1.3 in taking penalties. So he's act- he's above even this year, which is good, but a very wild player to say the least. Yeah, and I just pulled it up on HockeyViz because I was curious. Like it says, he his impact on like expected goal generation is you know eight percent stronger than the average forward in his minutes. When you account for coaching and quality of competition and things like that it's the defense that's really bad and it's 10 percent worse his impact on you know expected goals against and every year before that going back to 2016-17 he's been a positive on that um so it is interesting you know sometimes you have to take the good with the bad and sometimes the environment is something that's so hard for players to overcome and obviously like it's not like montreal is some stout defensive team at this point in time no. that's okay um <laughs> that I'd be curious when they start to turn that corner and improve defensively, can he maintain this level of offense? And I do wonder if the answer is yes under Marty St. Louis, because he is looking at his game a little bit differently. Now he has a coach who legitimately will get his hands. Like I said, get his hands dirty, work with the forwards and be like, let's tweak this. Oh, you've played this way your entire life. Okay. Let's try to tweak this and see if we can make it better. Can we see if, you know, we can, your instinct might be to do this, but let's make your instinct to do that. Still play to your strengths, still look for the best play, but maybe with your skill set, this is how you get there. Like, I really want to see how that works. And, you know, you never know if players like that are going to stick around. Anyone who's not like the super young player, are they going to stick around for this next turn? You never know. Um, it depends. Some We see it with Detroit. They'd step back and sell when everyone thought this was the year they were going to step forward. Um, so it'll still be curious to see, but I want to see what a better defensive team looks like with Josh Anderson on it. Can he maintain that offense? Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see. And the other thing is, like, right now he's playing on a line with Jonathan Drouin and, and uh, Mike Hoffman. So there's no natural center. And, and Mike that's... Hoffman is not good defensively. And neither is, is Joe Drouin. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Mike Hoffman might be one of the most, like, one-sided players. The crazy thing is, he's actually been decent defensively this year. It's, In a very limited it's role. Wild. It, it's it's, it's it, very you have weird. To, they use the chest to be so perfect for him to be that. Right, like this he is, can't score this is anymore. Who's, yeah, like the power play specialist in him is not there anymore. That everyone wanted him to be. Like it was like okay, and it's so it, it's it's so weird. Like a team would be like, okay, we can bring in someone as a power play specialist. Like it's like the Thomas Vanix of the world. Like you can do everything offensively, but please just do nothing defensively. Like just, <laughs> but you have to like craft out these perfect minutes for them and be like, okay, this is where you can play. Yeah, I feel like it's a lot easier to do that with with forwards as well, right? You can kind of yeah. like defense. It's it's so much Unless harder you're to like hide someone. The Hurricanes, and you're like, hey, yeah, we're getting Shane Gosfier on our third pair, and we're going to put him in the perfect minutes with the perfect usage because we can do that. We're the perfect team at taking defensemen and revitalizing their game. You look at like Brady Shea and where he was when he went there and what he's doing right now. And he's having an amazing year. You look at Brent Burns, who a lot of people would have said kind of faded last year. Yes, he had tough minutes, but he wasn't doing well in him at all. And there weren't signs of hope in it. You were like, that's, that's a tough season. And like, they're the team that's like, it's okay. We can do it with defensemen. Everybody else. No, I mean, they made Tony D'Angelo look fine defensively. Like most teams can't do true. that. They really, they really matter. It's the system over everything else there. Yeah, it's the system. And I feel like also being able to stick someone with them that can complement their their weaknesses, right? The Bruins used to do it. Like, I think uh, Tori Krug was a better defenseman than he got credit for. But I feel like he was also, like, highly leveraged when he was a Bruin, right? And and we've seen kind of since he went to uh, St. Louis, he's been a little bit more exposed. But... The Bruins, I think, are, have been pretty good at that with a few defensemen. I feel like Matt Grizzlick as well, at the beginning when he was really starting to break out as like an analytics darling, was like a very carefully controlled player. And then yeah. he's just 
good now. I feel like also a lot of those players who get slow rolled into, you know, being confident in their abilities, if they're there in, a, in that situation long enough, they can ramp up their minutes into yeah. into tougher situations and they can fly a little bit. Yeah, like he, Grizzlick's a good example. Like he was playing shutdown minutes. He also had Charlie McAvoy at his side for a lot of it, but like doesn't hurt. <laughs> it do- doesn't hurt at all. But he he didn't just follow along. He complimented him. Like there's such a difference. I think that's the thing too. Like I'm going to use the Rangers as an example here, but like Artemi Panarin for a while while he was in New York hasn't had like a great line mate, and there's such a difference between having a defensive weight on his line that some coaches feel that a player needs to have and having someone who's good defensively that can thread the needle for them. Like there's a huge difference. Grizzly, I feel like could actually thread the needle, not that McAvoy needed it, but he could thread the needle and it made such a good pairing. And then, you know, we saw how Grizzly looked away from him and he was still very good, just in obviously slightly different usage then. Yeah. A hundred percent. All right. Uh, Shana, I'm going to, cut it here because I don't want to take your whole night, but thank you so much for doing this. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, whether it's on Twitter or in DMS or, or over the internet for a show like this, uh, before we close things out, tell everybody where they can find your work. Um, you can read my work at the athletic and you can listen to the too many men podcast. There you go. All right, everyone subscribe to the too many men podcast and Hey, throw a like on the stream too. If you're here watching all this show there's not nearly enough likes for how many people were in here so help us out here help us grow help the algorithm uh, feed us around on replay here and uh, thanks for joining us during yet another terrible montreal canadian season with everybody injured except for nick suzuki one day this team will uh actually it could be, be worse it could be the broken team. jackets it's true i mean it could be the dom ducharme montreal canadians we've lived through about as low as it can go yeah. So at least they play hard. There's at that. At least you have the good right. vibes of a short king. Exactly. Exactly. Even if he's, you know, in a sling on the sideline. I meant the short the king behind the bench. I'm sorry. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> we have yes. two short kings. The tree trunk legs. <laughs> if the team ever starts slacking, he can just walk in there in short shorts and everybody's. Exactly. Get to work. Everyone right get to the weight room. Exactly. All right, everyone. We'll see you again on Saturday. I believe uh, the Devils are up next. We'll see you then. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.